my last night of childhood began with a visit home. I am your guitar. You're such a nerd. Hello, and welcome to Books Without Pictures. Hey, everybody. I'm Dan. I'm Wendy. Uh, what we do here, normally we look at the top 25 uh, novels based on, I don't even have the thing in front of me, the top 25 science fiction novels of all time as determined by an entirely unscientific list at sffjazz.com. Do your jazz hands, everybody. I'm doing them now. Uh, they are, you know, set up by, you know, awards and sales and critical praise and various other things. It is meant to be the beginning of the conversation. It is not the be all and end all. We are doing something a little different this time, however. What are we doing today, Danny? We are, uh, we are making good on one of our, uh, Patreon pledgers. Wait, we do Patreon? We do Patreon. Uh, we, uh, as part of the cost of putting up with our nonsense, um, but no, I mean, the, the putting together this podcast, you know, it is not something that is, is, you know, free. Uh, and we are very lucky in that we have some, some very generous people who support us through Patreon. Yeah. All kidding aside, we've been able to seriously upgrade our equipment, mm-hmm. which I know you can hear if you listen to the more recent episodes mm-hmm. versus the ones from, uh, further back. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and, and one of the reward tiers that we have, uh, is at, at $7 per episode. The person in question is, uh, we will uh, read and discuss a short story of their choosing, any genre. And someone was silly enough, I mean nice <laughs> enough, to sponsor us at that level. Absolutely. And because of that, you know, like, we have been able to kind of keep going with this. And uh, in this episode, we are uh, going to say thank you to Rick. Thank you, Rick. And... Um, you know, Rick chose a, a short story. Actually, technically, it's a novelette, but, you know, we don't mind because it was this one. Um, and what he did was he asked us to read Blood Child by Octavia E. Butler. Oh, my God. It was so good, you guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, well done, Rick. And thank you very much. So, that is what we will be discussing today. This is exactly the kind of story that I would be into. This is if what I re- just, like, organically discovered it. <laughs> this is what wins Hugo's people. <laughs> <laughs> This is what a Hugo-winning novelette looks like. Whatever are you referencing, Danny? <laughs> oh, well, okay. I'm actually referencing uh, the special uh, the that we uh, put out, was it two weeks ago? As we weeks ago. This? What's the episode number? Uh, it was a special. It was a special episode. It didn't have, it didn't have a number. Uh, it was just special one. And what we did was we discussed the whole sad puppy Hugo situation. And that went out before the awards were actually given out. Since then, <laughs> the awards were actually given out. Although not all of the awards were actually given out. There were a lot of no winners. <laughs> the Sad Puppies were entirely shut out. 100%. With the sole exception of the, uh, best present, the, the best presentation long form. Which nobody actually thinks that they had anything to do with. So people did not mind yeah. voting for Guardians of the Galaxy. It was a great movie. It, yeah, it really was. It wasn't what I voted for, but I'm, I'm not at all displeased that it won. I can't remember which way I went on that. I remember you asked me, and I feel like I had it down to... We, agree, we both agreed on Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, yeah, yeah. I remember we had it down to Winter Soldier or Guardians. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't. It was, a, it was almost a coin flip, basically. It really was. They were both great movies. Very different, mm-hmm. but both great great movies. So, yeah, but I mean, the way that, that the Hugo, just to kind of 
follow up on what we talked about that time. The way the Hugo Awards shook out, um, every category that was dominated by uh, by, a, by a slate was either no awarded or the award was given to the one nominee that was not on their slate. So it was just a complete rebuke of this tactic by the voting public. I mean, it definitely was, except they got a shit ton of media attention. They did, and that's... Absolutely. And they are continuing to, you know, get some. Yeah. And, and they're not done with this. Well, I mean, you know, they've actually, they've been really gracious and really great. I'm, I can't finish that sentence. They've been sitting around squalling in their wet diapers for the last two <laughs> weeks. <laughs> it's, it's really been kind of, uh, amusing uh, to a certain extent. Although it's, it's just like enough already, you guys. Come on. You know, there's a certain amount, you know, when, you know, people were like, you know, this isn't cool, you guys. Like, we didn't break any rules. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people voted no award, and they're all, you shouldn't vote no award, that's not fair, that shouldn't even be a rule, why is that even an option you should have? <laughs> <laughs> they weren't breaking any rules. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, there, um, so awards were given out, and some no awards were given out, and the world kept on spinning. We're still here. We are and still here. And Rolcon, uh, the, the Hugo uh, Committee mm-hmm. is talking about fixing. They are. There are two possible, again, we, t- we discussed these in the episode. Both of them have moved on to the next level. The four and six and the E Pluribus Hugo, where basically you would, your vote would get divided up. They, uh, they are both going to be ratified at the next one. And if they go through, then they will become new rules. Um, although the the uh, the e pluribus e, e pluribus Hugo, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I have four years of Latin. Yes, you do. The um, they put a sunset clause in that, so basically that's going to they're going to try the, if it goes through, they're going to try it for five years, and if it works, then they'll ratify it for for real. You know, that's really smart. I think so too. I think so too because there's a lot of change is scary, and there's a lot of you know. Well, change is scary. Absolutely. So. Um, how much more setup do we want to do before we dive in? Because I, I actually have a segue that I could do here. Or Let's I could, do it. I could do later. Well, if you, if you got a segue, I never never burn a never burn a segue. <laughs> so you know what? Unless the, it's a space segue. And then burn that <laughs> motherfucker down <laughs> like a hot topic. Oh, callbacks. <laughs> okay. So what's the big complaint of the puppies? Well, um, the real complaint or the one that they're saying? The one that they're saying. <laughs> the one that they're saying is that um, literary science fiction has been triumphing over real, old-fashioned, fun adventure stories that people actually want to read. And this is a new phenomenon. In, in recent years, science fiction has gone from those old space romances mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, military sci-fi shoot 'em ups. Yeah, pew pew. Pew pew. I've actually got like the, the finger guns happening. You absolutely right now. do. Pew, That's pew, why. Pew pew pew. <laughs> to, you know, things that are dealing with, with gender issues, mm-hmm. with women's issues, with, um, with gay rights issues, with issues of transgender people, mm-hmm. um, with issues, uh, with social issues. Something, something, nutty nuggets. Something, something, nutty nuggets. Right. So the reason that I bring this up is this this week we're going to talk about the 1984 Hugo uh, novella or short story? No, novelette. Novelette mm-hmm. uh, winner, Blood Child by Octavia Butler. Yes. In addition to which, it also won the Nebula and the Locust. <laughs> just, so just to be clear, this was 1984 this was published. Yes. 
which is a long time ago. Long ass time ago. 31 years 32, ago? 31, 31 years, yeah. 31 years ago. Math is hard. Math is hard. Math is so hard, you guys. <laughs> I, I I actually work in finance, so you know, don't hate me for that. Mm. Um, <laughs> so this is our, our Hugo winner from thirty one years ago. Yes, it is. And and who's our author? Uh, Octavia E. Butler. <laughs> and what exactly is the story about, Danny? Uh, this story is about um, a, a like a fourteen year old boy getting impregnated by a millipede lady. It's a love story. <laughs> sort of, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Between a young boy and the bug lady who <laughs> takes care of him and puts her babies inside him. Yeah. He's a pregnant man. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What? Oh, no, I mean, it's just, it's just, you're absolutely right. That was, it's, it's, it's kind of funny that, that this is what we wound up talking about right on the heels of this on entire the, thing. Exactly. Um, do you want me to do the synopsis? Do you want to do the synopsis? Well, let me just, uh, really quick, just talk about, uh, Octavia Butler. Yes, I'm sorry, please do that. Yeah, it's, again, it's just very quick. Uh, you know, born 1947 in Pasadena, California, died 2006 in Lake Forest Park, Washington. Um, you know, again, in addition to this story where she just won all the awards, uh, she's also got another Hugo for her short story Speech Sounds and another Nebula for her novel Parable of the Talents and, you know, just a buttload of other nominations. She's also, and I think that this is really important, she's the first science fiction author to receive the MacArthur Fellowship. Oh, was she really? She she got the Genius Grant in 1995. Okay. So that's who we're dealing with here. Well, it's a good thing we liked her story. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, that's basically what I've got here. I mean, she's just, she was... A phenomenal writer and did a lot of really important things in the in the in the field. I did not do a snapshot of 1984 um, as I do with all of our novels. That's a, yeah. I mean, I'm sure um, I know for a I, fact that we're going to we're going to come back to this year not that long from now. I was in seventh grade. Yeah. Madonna was a thing. Reagan was in the White House. The Cold War was still happening. Van Halen's jump. <gasps> Might as well. Might as well jump. All right. So yeah, why don't you why don't you take us through the through the story and. Um, well, yeah. there's a lot to unpack here, so let's... Uh, it really is. It's a short little story. It's about 7,000 words. It's not very yeah, long it's, at all. It's longer than a short story, but it's not terribly long. Um, no, wait a minute. Rick's only paid for a short story. This is a novelette. <laughs> Rick, I will invoice you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, no, I'm not going to do that, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, this is a story. All about how your life got flipped, turned upside down? I'm sorry. I can't help it. When somebody starts it like that, I have to do that. I'm sorry. I'll stop. Would they mind? <laughs> well, of course not. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just take it for a little spin. Maybe show it around to a couple of friends. <laughs> I'll just cruise around the neighborhood. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, of course I should. <laughs> pay attention. Here's the thick of the block. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Up to the corner at the end of the block. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I pulled up to the corner at the end of the block. I can't remember. <laughs> That's when I saw this beautiful girly girl mm -hmm. walk in. Oh, <laughs> my cell phone to perpetrate like I was talking. <laughs> 
but I continued to drive and treated her with respect. Absolutely. Because I do not catcall women on the street and attempt to get them into my car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like all going in the stinger bank, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so Blood Child mm-hmm. is told to us... Um, I'm sorry, I need some more. Oh my god. Is this story all about how is the, the theme song to the Bel Air? It's not even parents just don't understand. I totally did the wrong Fresh Prince song. This is the story all about how my life got flipped turned upside down. I know, I just I switched <laughs> to the other song. Oh, you did? I did. Oh my god. I thought I, I was know losing the other my song mind. better. I thought I was losing my mind. Okay. <laughs> You're losing your mind because you can't keep your fresh print songs straight? Apparently. That's the first step. That's the first step. That's the first sign. If you can't keep your Fresh Prince song straight, then at that point, you're just, you, you're done. That's not what my mom said. <laughs> what did your mom say? <laughs> I don't know. But there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. <laughs> oh, my God. You realize he made like a gazillion dollars and had an incredibly successful, lucrative career uh-huh. doing actual songs, yes. not those like goofy original rap songs, which are the only Will Smith songs you and I both know. I, I mean, th- I know that he did a Wild Wild West song, and that's well, he, what he, I've he got, got. He got Jiggy Wit It. Oh, he got the, he's the Jiggy one. Yeah. Yeah. Getting I, Jiggy Wit It. No, 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 I don't no, know no. popular music. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have the sillies. I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah, well. <laughs> we'll see. We're only like 15 minutes in. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we have about five minutes of usable content. Yeah. <laughs> Editing this one's going to be a bitch. I'm sorry. Nah, don't worry about it. Okay. So we have Blood Child. Mm-hmm. Blood Child is the story um, of a human boy. His name is Gan. Um, Gan is a member of a human family um, who has as a member of their family this other person um other other being she is of a race called Tluck, and she is uh tagatoy mm-hmm. is that is that how we're going to call that yeah to to tagatoy tagatoy yeah i think that t is, is probably actually a click mm-hmm. um but i'm not good at clicks yeah um she's basically a giant bug lady she's like a millipede with a stinger kind of thing like there's a picture, like like this was the cover story of that. Bloodchild was the cover story of Bloodchild and other stories. Well, actually, it was, but I was actually talking about because it originally appeared in Asimov's. Um, oh, is there a picture in the Asimov? It was it was the cover. It was the cover oh. story. I'm going to grab it now because I actually posted it to the uh, to the page earlier today. Can you see that? What is that? Like one of the grubs? That's no. That's 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 Tagatoi. But tiny because she's like nine. She's supposed to be bigger than that, but that's the that's what that's what being described. So Takatoi is a giant bug lady. She's like three meters long. She's kind of like a giant red millipede um, crossed with a scorpion. Because mm, yeah. she also has, um, in addition to having a stinger, she has claws. Mm-hmm. She has pinchers. Yes. Um, but she has a relationship with the family. Um, she is Gan's caregiver, uh, and she is a childhood friend of Gan's mother, Leanne. Mm-hmm. Leanne has uh, four children, only three of whom we really meet in the story. There's like a younger sister. That I don't think she's even named. And his family is raised on a preserve. Through the course of the story, we learn that the Terrans came to the uh, t- Tlock. Is it Tlock? Tlick. 
Tlick. Came to the Tlick home planet um, as refugees fleeing war on Earth. Mm-hmm. And they came right at a time when there was um, a problem. The Tlick were having a problem. And that they need to lay their eggs in a host. And they had for millennium been using uh, animals native to their planet. But the animals had started figuring out how to how to kill the grubs before they were, were b- born. And the humans make excellent hosts. And over time, the Tlick came up with a way to kind of manage um, the humans. They all live together in families on a preserve. Families are kept intact. And every mother promises to give one of her children to a Tlack. Preferably a male. Preferably a male who will uh, be used uh, basically as, you know, for, for breeding. And in this family, Gan is the one selected and raised from infancy um, by Tukatoy. Is that what we're, how we're saying this? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yes. Again, there's no real way to... A giant bug lady. Sure. Yes. <laughs> She's not here to be offended, but I'm sure there are people that know how to pronounce this properly. I'm sure you're absolutely correct. <laughs> um, and their, their home visiting his, fam- the, his family. Um, the first line of the story begins, you know, this is the last night of my childhood. A lot of things go down this night. Um, first, the uh, family is given an egg to share, mm-hmm. um, a sterile egg, and they consume it greedily. It's great nutrition for them. It makes them drunk and happy, but also it has a lot of um, something in it mm-hmm. that extends their lives. It, it fights the aging process. And we find out that Gan's father was actually used for breeding purposes, lived uh, an extraordinarily long life, being... Um, living off the uh, benefit of these eggs. So the family is all given an egg to share and Gan is given an extra egg and is then sent to kind of cuddle and uh, warm to uh, the bug lady. Mm-hmm. I'm calling her bug lady because I'm going to butcher the name. Sure. And then at one point she calls her mother over and this is when we find out that they were, they were childhood friends and grew up together. And she, uh, the mother had turned down the egg. She, she's aging. She doesn't want to extend her life. And she encourages her to take a little bit of egg. And it makes her a little happy and a little warm and a little drunk. And she, uh, she snuggles with her bug lady friend who stings her. And she tells her she's going to sleep. And she doesn't really fight it. Because now to sting is, I mean, it sounds, and it obviously kind of is, you know, a, a very aggressive act. But it's also it's always presented as a, a favor that and that the bug lady is doing for well, it's very whoever she's stinging. It's very it's very soothing. They don't yes. they don't sting the humans in a way to hurt them or right. damage them. They sting them in a way to lull them. Mm-hmm. It's mean, like giving the baby on the plane a Benadryl. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, please give your babies on plane Benadryl. Mm-hmm. Please give your babies on planes Benadryl. <laughs> please give your babies on planes Benadryl. <laughs> yeah. It's one Benadryl. Mm. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Mm. What? I'm I'm not disagreeing. With you. <laughs> it's fine. It's one time. Mm. I hate people that won't do that. It mm. makes me fucking crazy. Give the kid a Benadryl. It's a six-hour flight. Mm-hmm. Everyone will be happier, including the baby. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as doping the kid every day so he can watch TV or play video games without the kid crying. 
I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, so as as everybody is snuggling and the family's kind of settling in for the night, Bug Lady senses a disturbance in the force. Mm-hmm. And um, she runs outside and comes back in carrying a man mm-hmm. who's clearly sick, who's very thin, um, and is very problematic. And she immediately sends Gan off to call for help. Um, Gan doesn't want to go. He wants to stay and help her and be useful. And she sends his brother instead. He has an older brother. Mm-hmm. Brother goes and she says, okay, I need you to go. Bring me, bring me something. Bring me an animal. Um, about half your size because what she's going to do, uh, well, we don't know what she's going to do. So he goes out, he, he uses a gun that the Sikh family shouldn't have, but does have, shoots some livestock, brings it back inside. Uh, bug lady immediately guts the animal, uh, rip, just rips it open. And then she uses her, her little pinchers to open up the human. And she starts pulling grubs out of him. He has, uh, I think the smallest is about 15 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Angry little uh, red baby chlick. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just hatched from their egg casings. And they need to be removed from their host before they eat him. So she plucks them out one by one. Mm-hmm. So she's very excited to find a smaller, more aggressive one who's actually a male. So they don't have a lot of males. And she puts them all inside the, live, the dead livestock so they can feed. And they immediately begin eating the hell out of that thing. And then she kind of soothes the human, puts him to sleep. She's waiting for his Tlick to come. His Tlick will be able to best care for him. Mm-hmm. Did you have something you wanted to add? You know, she explains that, you know, it's very important that every single grub be removed. If so much as one grub stays, Bram, that's the man, Bram will be eaten. And, 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 and we find out that his Tlick has not been able to come because she's incredibly sick. So um, that's you know, what's happening right now is extremely unusual. In fact, much more traumatic than it really should be. If Bram's own Talik had been on the scene, he would have been able. She had to do this without any anesthetic. She had to just rip this guy open and pull bugs out of him while he's squalling and screaming and just—it's horrible. That's right. She, she can't stand. She can't sting him. So Gan is witnessing all of this because. He wants to help. And he knows about how the birthing process is going to work. But he doesn't, he's never actually seen it. And and knowing about something academically and watching it happen are really problematic. Mm -hmm. Once all the grubs have been removed, she sends him outside because she, she, she knows he needs to, he's going to be sick. And he goes outside and uh, proceeds to vomit out the contents of his guts. And that's when his brother comes back with uh, the man's slick and a human doctor who's there to care for him. And she tells him, you know, what he saw. And his brother says, I mean, I saw one of them eat a man once. And then tells the story of having witnessed a birthing ritual happen out, like in a, in a, out in the open in the woods somewhere where they couldn't get to safety. And the Talik had to just go in and take the grubs. No, I'm sorry. The Talik had no place to put the grubs. Right. So she let the grubs kill her human. Mm-hmm. And that was when his brother realized that they really don't value us at all. We're really just livestock. No matter how nice and friendly they are and how generous they are, if it's between you and the grubs, they're going to let the grubs eat you from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And you're going to die a slow, horrible, painful death. And 
you need to know this, my brother, because you are signed up for this. This is what you were going to do. And he has a hard time with this idea. And he he goes back inside eventually and he's talking to his bug lady. And um, she tells him about what had happened and that, you know, this man had been very sick and hadn't been able to care for him properly or she would have taken care of this herself privately at home. This is not a public thing. And that um, she was going to die and that uh, the Tlick sister would be raising the grubs and will be caring for the man. And he would never be asked to do this again. And he said, but that's just it. No one asks us. No one asked me. He was given to her when she was a bait, when, before he was born, Mm -hmm. actually, she put a claim in on him. Right. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If it was like, it could have been the older brother, but she wanted to be, she wanted to be part of this kid from the very beginning. She wanted to be part of the kid from the very beginning. And she wasn't, when she was, that's what I thought. I just wasn't, when she, I don't remember if it was the older brother or the older sister that I think the mother originally offered her the older sister. Mm Um, but this, this uh, bug lady is a very important bug lady. She's a very high-ranking government official. Mm-hmm. and She's she, in charge of the whole preserve, isn't she's she? She's in charge of the whole preserve. She wasn't ready to select her human mm-hmm. um, for a while. And then when she was, she wanted the next baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, Leanne was her friend. The, mm-hmm. the woman was her friend. And she cared for her. They had a good relationship. But she wanted the ch- Leanne's child that would be convenient. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't, Leanne didn't have a say in this. She's the one with the power here. Mm -hmm. So things get really ugly between uh, the two of them. Because Yan is very angry. He, between having heard the story from his brother, between having seen what this is really like and how traumatic it can be, he suddenly wants no part of this. And the answer is, well, that really hurts me. Mm -hmm. But okay, I will have your sister. And then Gan doesn't want that either. He's, he's as soon as as soon as she says she'll pick his sister instead, mm-hmm. he gets very jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, as as much as this idea of what's about to happen to him bothers and upsets him, this is what he's been raised to do, and he's very jealous when this this creature that he has this very intimate relationship with is ready to just cast him aside for another, mm-hmm. rather than kind of have this argument with him and engage and work through it. Which they, they eventually do. They eventually work through it and he, he agrees. Mm-hmm. And, and that is when it becomes very clear that actually tonight is the night. And that's why we've come home to visit one last time. Mm-hmm. And that's why you got an extra egg all to yourself. I need you strong. I need you healthy and I need you fat because mm-hmm. these grubs are going to eat the fat in your body. Mm-hmm. And they go up to his room where there is a special, uh, couch for them. And she, she holds, she holds on to him and she, um, lays her eggs inside him. And at first he, he feels himself kind of giving in and holding on to her the same way that he had seen, uh, the, the man is, I think his name was Loris. Bram Loris. Bram yes. Loris too. And then he realizes what he's doing and he gets mad and he actually moves and he hurts her. Mm-hmm. And then he feels so guilty that he kind of goes back into that position, which was natural in the first place. Mm-hmm. And and that's sort of it. Her eggs are inside him. He's actively chosen um, as a young man mm-hmm. to be her breeding receptacle. Mm-hmm. And she promises that she'll always take care of him. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end of the story. 
It is indeed. Yeah, he just he just as horrifying and 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 terrible and humiliating and just dehumanizing as the entire thing is. This is what he's been raised to believe his entire life, and he just he wants her for himself. This is this this honor and this connection. It's a it's a really weird love story. In a way, yeah. But also, incredibly not. <laughs> well, talk about that because there there are numerous ways to mm-hmm. read this story. There absolutely are. Um, first of all, loved it. Loved this story. So good. So good. Amazing. Rick, thank you. You did. You done good, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> but this, I mean, this is clearly the classic science. Oh yeah, classic sci-fi that the puppies were trying to bring back. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, right. alien bugs and shoot 'em ups and. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Gan, 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 Gan had a gun at one point. <laughs> That's true. He shot a cow, um, or something. A I don't space remember. cow. A space cow. Um, there is. There's a lot of playing with gender here, where the females, you know, femalian. If this was a horrible 70s uh, pulp magazine is the one who's impregnating a young boy. And so we're kind of seeing this horrific, terrible, painful uh, experience that men have no frame of reference for. And and, and he's kind of experiencing it in the most intimate possible way. Um, he really has no choice in the matter where he's just got to lie on the bed and, and, and take the eggs. So there's definitely, there's a huge power um, differential between the two of them. Oh, there's a huge power imbalance Yeah. inherent in the system. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. But between the two of them, mm-hmm. it's a special relationship. In its way. Absolutely. It's fucked up and it's. You know, like we can look at this and and see all kinds of things that are are problematic with with their relationship, but that doesn't make it less real for them. That's right. Although it's much more real on his side than hers, because at the end of the day, I don't doubt that she loves him. I don't doubt that she cares for him very deeply, but she has no regard for him. At the end of the day, she has no real respect for this kid. Well, she's she, he's her property. He is her property. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is absolutely true. It's also true. Mm-hmm. You know, they're talking about how upsetting and violent it was for him to see the death. Mm-hmm. And he says to her, Terrence should be protected from seeing. Um, I don't like the sound of that. I didn't like the sound of that. And I doubted it was possible. Not protected. I said shown shown when we were young kids and more than once. Gatoy, no Terran ever sees a birth that goes right. All we see is that all we see is intlick, pain and terror and maybe death. She looked down at me. It's a private thing. It has always been a private thing. Her tone kept me from existing from insisting that and the knowledge that if she changed her mind I might be the first public example. But I had planted the thought in her mind. Chances were it would grow and eventually she would experiment. I think we're meant to believe that she's listening. She's actually hearing him. That is definitely a possibility. I will be honest. That is not how I read that. I read that as him grasping at straws. I believe that she was just completely dismissing it out of hand. Um, 
because again, this is the way that it has always been for however many millennia they've been doing this. Well, it hasn't always been. I mean, the Terrans didn't come to them that long ago. Okay. There've only been a few Terran generations. Okay, fair enough. And the Terrans have helped them, um, have helped their race, which was dying, thrive. Mm-hmm. The the Tlick who was sick and couldn't care for her Tlick. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's mentioned that she's she's smaller and she's not really the same kind of color mm-hmm. um, that that this bug lady is. Right, and it's because she was she was birthed from an animal. Right, and and the ones birthed from human hosts are remarkably hardier. Human hosts can churn out six, seven grubs. Mm-hmm. They're lucky to get one from an animal. And the size and health and likelihood of getting a male is a lot higher in the human hosts. Right. So they're looking to kind of balance. It's, it's, a, it's a story. There's definitely a power imbalance inherent in this system. But I think that they're looking for a symbiosis here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that and, and there's one way to read this story. And I know that Butler herself actually denied this. But one way to read the story is there's definitely a master-slave relationship here. And she has said it's a love story, and I see it yeah. that way. But the thing is, I mean, and I think that at the end of the day, it's much more a love story than anything else. But I think that there is that sense of you could be the head servant. You know, you could live in the house. You could absolutely be part of the family. You could, you know, you're oh, the... I'm trying not to say things like master or owner, but they could love you and treat you just incredibly kindly. But at the end of the day, you are their property. Uh, we see at the very beginning where she, uh, where, where, you know, Tagatoy and, and Lien, the mother, have a wonderful back and forth banter. But then as soon as Tagatoy decides she's done, she's basically says, go do what you're told. And Lien very quietly and meekly goes and does what she's told. And it's it's not presented as anything unusual, other than just there is there is a point where this stops be where they stop being friends and start being owner and property, um, and that's exactly what what Gan is here as well. I mean, again, I don't for one instant doubt that Tagatoy feels very very strongly for Gan, the same way that I feel very very strongly for that dog. But at the end of the day. The, you know, if that dog comes up to me and says, I really, I really ought to be making more meatloaf and giving him that for dinner every night, that's not going to affect what I, what I, you know, the fact that, no, he's, he's going to get a big fistful of kibble instead. Dan, if that dog walks up to you and mm-hmm. makes your request in English, mm-hmm. you give him whatever the fuck he wants and well, get him enough. an agent. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> you know that he would just do the Michigan J Frog thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as we were alone, he'd be so, uh, meatloaf? <laughs> But as soon as there was somebody else in the room, he would just, you know, fall asleep and, and fart himself awake. Because <laughs> that's what he does. Fart himself awake. Yeah. Are we going to talk about this story? Yeah, let's talk about this story. I think these humans have, I think there's a huge imbalance mm-hmm. um, that's inherent in this kind of a relationship. But I also think that it's it's said that the humans, the, the Terrans, haven't been on this planet that long. Mm-hmm. And they've gone from literally being animals kept in pens, grabbed for breeding purposes, um, to being kind of broken up, families being broken up and given, given like one to a family, mm-hmm. to really having an understanding of how to respect the family unit 
and keep it intact and how important that is for human growth and development because the Tlik need the humans to be successful. They need the human population in order for their own race mm-hmm. to survive. They may have more power because they're bigger mm-hmm. and they may have more power because there are more of them and it's their planet, but they literally cannot survive mm-hmm. without these humans. So they can, they can treat them like animals mm-hmm. um, and they can have limited success in their breeding programs or they can learn how to respect them and they can learn how to, how to relate to them and they can have a really successful breeding and all that is true, but at the same time, the humans are not allowed to leave the reservation. They are not allowed to have weapons. They are kept uh, completely... I mean, the, the the sterile eggs that they're given, a big part of that is to keep them docile and under control. I mean, and it's just, again, it's just presented as a fact of life for, for both sides of this matter. You know, that this is what happens to kind of keep the society the way that it is well what's wrong with having a long life well well that's i mean again the the family the father of the family who mm-hmm. the late father it, it's mentioned he lived an extraordinarily long life mm-hmm. um in his very very uh later years married fathered these children um died leaving four children behind as well as a young wife he was used for breeding three times in an extraordinarily long life mm-hmm. He could have been bred a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, yes, the fact that you know you you have this long life is is certainly a good thing, and it's a very comfortable life. But it's still it's still a life where you're where you're the property of an alien bug lady. It's a weird relationship, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm not I, you can't argue that there's not a power imbalance here. Mm-hmm. As much as they're kept under control mm-hmm. on the reservation on the on the preserve. Mm-hmm. They're also kept safe on the preserve because there are a lot of really desperate Tlick out there that want them some Terran for breeding purposes. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Tlick families that have Terrans are very wealthy, mm-hmm. very politically connected people. The average Tlick does not have a Terran in the family to breed with and has to use host animals. Mm-hmm. And ends up with sickly offspring. And it's the, it's the super connected click who have access to Terrans for host purposes mm-hmm. that are having the successful, uh, young. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me with a blank stare. Yeah, because I'm actually trying to figure out exactly what it is that we're arguing about. Um. I, I feel like your inherent argument here is mm-hmm. that this is a slave story. Yeah. I'm not, I, I'm saying that there's a, a very strong slave element to the story. I I do believe that there's a, a definite love story here as well. I think that the two are not mutually exclusive. Um, but I think that it's impossible to ignore the slave aspect or the property aspect, which is, I think, more um, accurate. You know, yeah. Yes, long life is good. Yes, they're kept safe on the reservation or the preserve. It's rather. a preserve. But Tagatoy's, you know, keeping these this family safe, not because I love Leanne and I love Leanne's family and I'm going to make sure nothing happens to them. It's nothing's going to happen to my egg carrier. My egg carrier. 
because, you know, they're my egg carrier. Um, and while, again, I don't for one instant walk away from this story thinking that Tagatoy does not love Leanne and, and her family, loves Gan, absolutely she does. I absolutely believe that she does. But it's not health but it's for from from Gans perspective it's not healthy and it's not the same kind of love that which is not a bad thing i mean it's, it's what, not a love between two equals no, and that's where your problem comes from it's it's not even a problem i mean i'm not saying that that makes this a terrible story because it's a wonderful story you know it's a very powerful story like you put this down and went wow <laughs> when uh what did i sound like i don't remember exactly what you sounded like but you were like very clearly shaken or moved by this story when you were done with it. It affected you in a way that um, made, it's a very powerful story. It was it was an excellent story, and mm. it seemed like it was a very timely choice mm. for us. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't want to give the impression that I don't like this story. Or I don't think that this story is is correct or what have you. Uh, I just I just think that maybe I'm a little more. I think that my interpretation of this story lies more further in one direction than your interpretation of the story does. You know, which is not to say that author intent is not important because it absolutely is. Um, you know, Butler. And she's gone on record. She's with gone on her record intent. with her intent, and that's absolutely correct. But I also, be- I also do believe that reader interpretation is important as well. And sometimes stuff gets written that the author doesn't intend, but is still there. Well, and I think that's what can make any story a really interesting story mm-hmm. is that there's something for us to talk about Absolutely. and debate mm. and have, have back and forth about. Right. Because um, I think when we're both uh, feel exactly the same way about a story, it's a really boring conversation. It can be. Yeah, definitely. And this is such a great story. It really is. Um, what do you think about this idea? This idea that Tagatoi could just switch on a dime. To switch, to discard Gan and just grab her sister, his I think, sister. I think that A, a big part of that was guilting Gan. I think that was laying a guilt trip on Gan. I think she's manipulating him. But I do also believe that if she'd had to, to use, uh, Joanne the, the sister, she would have done it without thinking twice. She absolutely, I mean, it had to happen that night. That night was the night that the grubs were coming out. Or the, that the eggs rather were, were, were coming out. They, they, it needed to go somewhere. But, um, they're I, all her property. Yeah, exactly, exactly. She it, could she could put them in him anyway. Mm-hmm. He belongs to her. And yes, and and she, if he insisted on not doing it, I believe that she would have gone to the, to to the sister and wouldn't have liked it. But he can insist on not doing it with his words. Mm-hmm. But. If their relationship is so unbalanced, she and she is physically dramatically stronger than he is, mm-hmm. she can make him. Yeah, she can. But she didn't have to because I think that she, again, she just played him. I honestly, I, again, I walked away from that exchange. Well, I guess I could always just give it to Juan Ha. I could always just give it to your sister. So I guess that's what I'll go do now. Do-do-do-do-do. And just kind of, you know, you can almost see her kind of like standing with her back to him going, three, two. Wait, no! You can have it in me instead. Um, because she, she, again, as you say, she was going to get what she wanted. Um, whether that be forcing him to do it, although that probably would have caused more harm than good. It could have damaged the eggs. 
or putting them in the sister, which again was not her first choice, but she would have done it. And the sister was more than happy to to be the host. The sister was disappointed she was not chosen. But yeah, I think that that she, you know, if the best result in that situation was to put the eggs in Gan's sister, she would have done it without a second thought. You know, not ideal, but you know, oh well, look, I'm out of crunch berries. I guess I'll have to have Lucky Charms instead. Honestly, that's how I that that's how I walked away from that exchange. I will agree that I think that she was um, emotionally manipulating him in that moment. Mm-hmm. I think that she knew that she could mm-hmm. because he genuinely cared about his relationship with her mm-hmm. and would not want to be discarded. Um, wanting to have some say in the relationship is one thing, um, but throwing it away like that, I, I think that she knew. Again, she she could have just grabbed him mm-hmm. and, and kept him under control. And she doesn't want that. She wants him to be a willing participant. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also true that it, it, it illustrates the fact that as horrific and unsettling and shocking as what he saw that day was, a person does not easily just give up what they've believed their entire life. Um, you know, he has been raised from before birth that he's going to be the host. host and that this was, this was a good thing, that this was, you know, his purpose in life, that, you know, Tegatoy is part of his family and this was his duty to his family and he, he loved her and she loved him and this is what this is what was going to happen, and this was an entirely good thing. And the fact that he saw something so horrible shook him to his core, but at the end of the day, he still got this core belief that never went away. And I think that's very realistic. I think that a lot of stories, he would have seen this horrible thing and said, nope, I'm done. Now I'm a rebel, and now I, you know... And taken up the cause and been <laughs> like the leader of series rebellion. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think a lesser story, that, that would have been what happened. But I think that Butler was very very smart and very wise to acknowledge the fact that, yes, this is horrible and it shook him really, really hard. But you don't just give up your core belief system in half an hour. You know, at the end of the day, that's still kind of the the framework that you're built on. And it's very, 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 very hard to shake that off. Did you have anything else? I feel like we haven't really done the story justice, and yet it's—I it's, mean, it's—it's—it's it's not long. It's a—it's a well, again, it's a novelette, but it's a short story. It is, is, you know, again, we talked about this when we did the puppy episode. Short stories are hard because you have to get one idea across very effectively, and this did that very effectively. But it is one idea. It's not like when we do an entire novel and there's a bunch of a lot more characters and a lot more situations happening. And this is a really well crafted. Uh short story type story. Mm-hmm. Do we have a clear protagonist? We do. Does he have an apparent problem? He does. Does he have an actual problem that's different than his apparent problem? He does. <laughs> um, is the, does the te- does tension build and build and build to a resolution? Yes. And the action takes uh, place over the span of a very limited amount of time. A couple of hours at most. And after the climax, we have a denouement. We do indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, it's almost like <laughs> she was a really good writer. <laughs> Let's give her a genius grant. I just, um, if you haven't listened to the special that we did about the 2015 Hugos, we we approached the stories as if we were uh, sitting together with the authors and writing workshops. Mm-hmm. 
and really picked them apart, considering them drafts mm-hmm. and not final stories, and kind of went over the checklist of what a good short story is supposed to have. And some of some of them had none of those things. Yeah. <laughs> and this, I mean, and, and this just. I mean, obviously, this stomps all over any of those stories. And in fact, this stomps over. This stomps over a lot of over, stories. The vast majority of short stories I've ever read. But um, well, yeah, it's just a wonderful, wonderful. Well, story. and if nothing else, there really are a, a, a dozen different ways to read this. Yes, which is part of what makes it so strong. Again, you and I kind of walked away from this with two different or two dissimilar readings. Yeah, we're not at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I do, I do concede that there's a very. Uh, clear power uh, imbalance in this relationship, mm-hmm. but I think it's a different kind of relationship than than you see it as. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Did Rick send us any questions or comments when he chose the story for us? Okay, I'm I'm uh, reading the uh, message that Rick sent. You know, when he when he picked this story. Oh man, he said he almost was going to recommend a game of Rat and Dragon by Cordwainer Smith. That would have been a mind fuck. Let's read. Let's read the email from uh, our friend Rick, who is our generous supporter on Patreon. Yes, uh, I propose Blood Child by Octavia Butler. It is disgusting, disturbing, and depressing. However, I feel that when the reader compares Gan and the treatment of the humans to the way people were treated during the Atlantic slave trade, it all makes sense. I've come across people who argue that Africans lived longer under slavery than if they were in their native lands. I've heard some argue that slaves were treated really nice. Think Benedict Cumberbatch and 12 Years a Slave in the Tannenbaum thesis. This story plays with the ideas of Gan being in love with Tegetoy, the Talikegs prolonging human life, yet the humans still live in fear. Octavia Butler claims that it is about symbiosis and not slavery. There's no doubt in my mind that Butler was a genius, so it may take me years before I truly understand the story. I feel like we've actually hit on his points. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't seen that email until just now. Yeah, um... Again, I think that uh, there's so many different ways to read this, but at the end of the day, it really is a very dark story that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> Do you think it's dark and depressing? I think it's dark. I don't know if I call it depressing. Is, is that what he said? Uh, disgusting, disturbing, and depressing. Disgusting, disturbing, and depressing. Is it disgusting? Well, Bram gets ripped open and has a whole bunch of grubs pulled out. It's kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it disturbing? Yes. It yeah. is. It is. Um, depressing. I guess it really depends on how you read it and what you think is going to happen when it's over. What do, you, what do you think happens after after the curtain closes, essentially? Well, I think that the, the relationship between the Terrans and the Tlick is on a path, right? Like, they originally came there and they really were treated like animals. Mm-hmm. And as time and generations have passed, they're treated uh, with more and more decency i think it's really a question of the development of the relationship between the two species Mm -hmm. right has it capped out is this where it ends does it continue under this model forever or do they continue on a path where the terrans are treated with more and more humanity the terrans have come remarkably far from where they were originally uh, the ways in which they were originally treated Mm -hmm. and it's a question of where they'll be treated, um, you know, when when Gan has children of, of his own. Right. But I guess my question now, to, to kind of counterpoint that, is yes, the um, the Talek are treating the, the Terrans better than they had been when the... Again, the, you know, it's like we're like, oh, these animals won't let us put our eggs in them anymore. What are we going to do? And then the Terrans land and say, hey, guys, we're here. They literally fall from the sky. And, you and know, they're yes, filled, they're filled with fat, and which is what the, the exactly. grubs need. And, you know, and they're, you know, rounded up and treated like 
like cattle and, and, you know, it's horrible. And yes, things do improve. The relationship between the Talik and the Terrans do improve over, over the years. But it's not because the Talik are like, well, we're not treating these Terrans very well. We should probably do better. It's because if we treat them more humanely, we will get more eggs out of them. There's no question that they're getting an actual benefit mm-hmm. to their reproductive cycle. Um, by using, by using the human host. What's unclear is if it's getting better and better because the humans are more willing and compliant or if it's just getting better and better because there are more of them with access to humans mm-hmm. because they, they have set up this program where, um, while the chosen Terrans give up a lot, um, or have the choice made for them, mm-hmm. for them to give up a lot. They're well uh, cared for, well treated, and spend a lot of time in Tlick society. Where was I going with this point? I'm sorry, what did you just say? Well, my point was that the uh, the, the, the improvement mm-hmm. in, in the relationship of the way that the, that the Terrans are treated right, right, right. is really just out of self-interest on the, on the, on the part of the Tlick. It's hard... You know what the thing is that it's actually hard to to make these grand sweeping uh statements because the only Tlik we meet is Tigatoy. You know, and we the way that she treats Lien and Lien and Gan and their family, we don't know if that's indicative of Tlik society as a whole or if that's just you know Tigatoy's relationship with Lien and her family. Well, I think that that's significant because Tigatoy has had this close relationship with Leanne when she was, when they were both basically teenagers together. Mm-hmm. And she has uh, matured to become the person in charge of the Terran preserve, which puts her in a significant um, position to have a lot of say over how the Terrans are treated, who gets a Terran, what's fair, what's reasonable. It puts her in a position of authority, of authority over both the Terrans themselves, but also how the Terrans are treated by the Tlick society. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she's someone who grew up with um, a close friend, Terran, who she actually married uh, to her. She, she made the, they made her, she, either she or her family made the introduction mm-hmm. between Lien, who was uh, Tegatoy's friend, mm-hmm. To uh, her Lien's late husband, who was used by Tigatoy's family and was the host from which Tigatoy was born. Mm-hmm. That's a special relationship. It absolutely yes, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not. But at the end of the day, basically, what we're what we're what we're dancing around is is she the master or is she like the wealthy cousin who kind of looks down on the family? And that's just it. She, I mean, at no point. Do I get the impression from the way that she interacts with Lian? Do I get the point that she has any respect for Lian? I think she loves her. I think that she cares for her. I think she wants to take care of her. I think she wants her to be happy. I think that she wants her to be safe. But Lian has no input over anything that's happening in this story at all. Lian chose to give her ch- a child to take a toy. Mm-hmm. All Terran women have to give a child mm-hmm. to a Tlick. She chose to give one to her friend. Mm-hmm. But as you say, if she chose not to give it to Tlick, she'd still be giving away... She'd still have to give her, her kid to somebody. I mean, wh- I mean, it makes sense that she would give it to 
to Katoy. You know, because again, it's, they are friends and they are, you know, this is the one that she knows, you know, has known her whole life. Again, I think that we're just, I, I don't know that we're really going to change each other's perspective on this. Oh, no, story. we never do. But, you know, I think that, that there's, there's just a very healthy back and forth that, that just shows how, how differently we're coming at this story. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I have a much more, I think ultimately your read of the story mm-hmm. is very heavily influenced by what you bring to the story as a reader. That's probably more so than a lot of other stories because there's a lot of really complex, mm-hmm. interesting things at play in what is actually a very short uh, novelette. Yeah, I think that's fair. So thank you, Danny. Thank you, Danny. And thank you to Rick. Thank you, Rick. Uh, yeah, Rick, this was this was terrific. Thank you very much for, for picking this story. And, um, do guys, you, do you talk about the Patreon? Yeah, I was, I was, I was just going to launch into that. If, do you uh, pulled up? I do, you know, be like Rick. If you, um, want to help us out again, this Patreon is what helps us get our hands on these books. This Patreon is what is going to help me to, you know, fix these, these headphones <laughs> that are kind of. The headphones falling. that you got that looked so impressive that, that where one of the wires fell apart, like the third time the you wore them. Third time I put them on. Well, again, they were $3. But uh, well, most of this equipment wasn't terribly expensive, but that's because you sourced it all secondhand. Yes, on eBay, it's actually a really nice little setup. It is, it is, and and again, the the you know these these pledges are what help us to put this show together. Um, again, we are going to actually have to buy a bunch of new books very very soon. Uh, we had a stack, we've gone through that stack, so everything like almost every book that we have to do from now on, we are going to have to acquire, and we're going to have to acquire two copies of them. So uh, this really does help us to do this show. And because Rick, you know, very generously uh, pledged at the level that he pledged at, he got to pick a short story for us. There's another level where, you know, it's a little bit more. It's, it's, it's $12 per episode where um, another subscriber, uh, Christian, actually got to pick a novel for us. Um, and he came through with that, and I'm very pleased with what he chose. Oh, that's right. We need to get reading on that we, one. We, again, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely you know do that one fairly soon. So I mean, you know, there's different tiers, and you do get rewards for each tier. Um, basically, give us money, and we will be your dancing monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Dan's actually an excellent dancer. I'm really not. I'm 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 an amusing dancer. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, you know, you see people seem pay to, me to dance. People do. They do pay you to dance. You, you are an excellent dancer. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, all of our, um, Patreon subscribers. Everything that you do helps us to put this together and helps us to put together a better show. And if you want to check out the Patreon campaign, look at the rewards, maybe sign up. Where, where can you do that, Danny? Well, you can do that at patreon.com slash bookswp. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash books W-P. I'm sure we have a link to that up somewhere. We do. Um, I'm sure, I know, I know it's in the forums, which again, if you'd like to be part of our conversation, although we haven't really talked about what's coming up next, but hey, we'll do the spiel. If you'd like to be part of our conversation, there's several ways you can do that. You can, uh, talk to us on the forums at earth2.net. Um, you can, uh, write to us at bookswithoutpictures at earth2.net. That's books without pictures. One long word at earth dash the number two dot net. Um, we have a Facebook page. Uh, it is facebook.com slash books without pictures. And again, that's also one long word. So yeah, 
I mean, next time we're going back to the list. Yes, we are. Uh, we I've actually already started the book. Uh, My we, copy is sitting over there on the table. It's oh yeah, I see it. There it is. Uh, we are we are going to be uh, discussing Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke. I have mixed feelings. You do. On the one hand, I'm super excited to read this title because I've always wanted to. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Arthur C. Clarke isn't really my bag. Which is funny because I had a copy of 2001 in high school that I literally read until I, until it fell apart. And I think that I had one in high school that I like like threw away. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure that's one that we'll be coming at from different perspectives <laughs> as well. That's on the list too, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sure. We're going to have is. to do that eventually. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's top ten. You kidding? Only um, top five, isn't it? I think it might be. I don't have the list in front of me, but yeah, it's pretty high. Um, so yeah, so we'll be talking about Rendezvous with Rama. If you'd like to um, be part of that conversation, please write in. We'd love to hear from you. Um, until next time, I'm Dan. I'm Wendy. Thank you for joining us on Books Without Pictures. Bye-bye. Now we're recording. Hi, Danny. Are you recording? I am recording. How's my level? Your level, it looks good, sounds good. Let me... Oh, wait. How about now? That's perfect. I got a little bajiggity. Yeah. No, that sounds perfect. You're perfect. Yeah, I doubt that very much. You're perfect, Danny Bear. (laughs) Linda Belcher is my spirit animal. (laughs) Well, I think we have our sting. (laughs) 